This is KMTT and the weekly Pashat HaShavua Shiv. This year, Tavshin Ayin, it will be given by Harav Chanoch Waxman. This week, Pashat Vayeshev, I would like to talk about the story found in Bereshit Perak Lamed Chet, the story normally known as the story of Yudah Vitamar. However, I do think, as our analysis will indicate, that perhaps the story should be understood a little bit differently, perhaps more accurately, the life and times of Yehuda, or the trials and travails of Yehuda. The story begins as follows in Paraklamachet, Pasuk Aleph. And it was at that time, and Yehuda went down, separated from his brothers. And he turned to an Adulamite man whose name was Chira. Yehuda, Bat Ish, etc. And Yehuda saw their woman, and he got married. So Yehuda left his brothers, and Yehuda made a new friend, a man named Chira. And Yehuda got married, and Yehuda had children, and some of Yehuda's children died. And then Yehuda had a business, and Yehuda had further adventures with Chira, and so on, and so on, and so on. Now, without a shadow of a doubt, the story of the life of Yehuda, the trials and travails of Yehuda, Yehuda's family, is of great interest to us. But nevertheless, an obvious question arises, one which is famously discussed regarding Perik Lamechet. And that is, simply put, how does this connect to the rest, or to the larger picture of the story of the Chumash at this point in time? If we think about it, here we are in Perik Lamechet, already in the middle of the, the Yosef narrative, or the story of Yosef and his brothers. And we can think about the story of Yosef and his brothers as a kind of a story of, of sibling rivalry, of a, of a division uh, within a family, of the sale of one of the brothers down to Egypt, and the eventual reconciliation of the brothers later on in Parshat Vigash. Or we can think about it from a kind of more global perspective, the story of how the nascent nation of Am Yisrael, um, from a more national or theological perspective, the story of how the nascent nations of Am Yisrael eventually wound up in Galut Mitzrayim, how Brit Ben Habtarim came to be true. But either way, whether we think about it as, as a family story or we think about it as a national story, strangely enough, here in Perak Lamed Chet, we have this individual story, the story of Yehuda, his family, his life, his times, his travails, his difficulties, etc., and the placement of the story um, here in Perak Lamed Chet, the story of Yehuda, of course, begs the question of Ma'inyan Ze what is this doing here at this point in the Chumash? Now, this is, of course, a well-known question, and on some level I would like to address it today. Um, but in fact, I want to uh, address a, a more different, question, a different question, in some ways a, a narrower or perhaps more, more technical question, a question that's internal to the story of Paraklamet but toch today, so to speak, along the way, I also hope to address the broader question of the place into the story here in general. But uh, to get to this, let us turn to the end of the story of Paraklamet Chet, um, and the particular difficulty, internal difficulty, in Paraklamet Chet that I would like to discuss today. Uh, of course, the story of Paraklamet Chet, the story of Yehuda, ends uh, with the birth of his twin sons by Tamar. And Paraklamet Chet, Pasek Kavzayin, says as follows, and it was the time of her giving birth, and she was pregnant with twins, and it was the time of her birthing, 
And um, one of them put forth a hand, and the midwife took, and she tied upon the hand that was stuck out of the birth canal, a string, or perhaps a red string, to say, so of course the mialedet, in accord with the responsibilities, uh, ties a, a string upon the hand of the twin that is born first, or is about to be born first, as an indicator of the fact that this child is the firstborn. And as such, we might say, lo mishpat This will be the child who will inherit, who will uh, assume all of the rights and responsibilities of b'charur. But of course, as the story here goes on in Parak there's a turn. Pasuk Kavtet says as follows, it was as he returned or brought back his hand, and behold, his brother emerged, Vatomer, and she said, and here it's either the Mialedit, the midwife, or perhaps the mother who said, Ma paratzta alav paretz. How have you burst out from this opening, through this hole, the Yikrashmo paretz, and his name was called paretz, for bursting forth or coming out through the gap. And then the Chumash continues on, Vachayatzachiv, and then the other brother came out, or his brother came out, the one who had originally been child one, but in point of fact was born later, Asher Hashani, that had upon his hand the red string, Veikrashmo Zarach. And his name was called Zarach, um, and meaning something like dawn, or something along those lines. Uh, now this, of course, is an interesting story, and quite Obviously, it raises a kind of interesting echo for us. And that kind of goes as follows. We have yet one more example here in Sefer Breshit, where in some sense, the younger replaces the older. Or maybe we might say, the latter um, replaces the former. Here we have child one who's about to be born as Bukhar, who is even marked as a Bukhar um, by having a red string tied upon his hand, and then suddenly somehow child two emerges and becomes the Bukhar and takes the place of the Bukhar, and he is called Paretz because he has burst forth, he has come out of the gap, and certainly in uh, the event itself and in the naming of Paretz, we have here an echo uh, of the theme of the younger replacing the older. This is, of course, normally considered a mark of distinction as Yitzchak replaced Yishmael and became the chosen inheritor of the covenant, um, as Yaakov replaced Esav uh, and became the chosen inheritor of the covenant, so too here, Paretz replaces Zarach and becomes the chosen inheritor of the covenant. Um, now, in fact, a kind of very interesting uh, literary echo or parallel uh, should emphasize for us uh, this theme. And we might even say that this becomes the, the most extreme or most successful case of the younger uh, replacing uh, the older uh, found here in Sefer Preshit. And it's worthwhile uh, to analyze this for the moment. The language here of the text uh, involved the idea of yad, uh, the hand. Um, and then afterwards we had this phrase of v'hinei yatsa achiv. And of course we had t'omim. So we think about this, just changing the order slightly, A, Omim, uh, twins bivitna, uh, B, the hand of a, a yad, and C, the phrase, this cannot help, this story of the birth of um, Paretz and Zarach, these twins, it cannot help but conjure up or echo for us the story, of course, of the birth of Yaakov and Esav. And if we go back um, for the moment uh, to Perakaf Hey, um, uh, Pasuk, 
Kavav. Um, of course, we're told there. Of course, these are twins, and that's one kind of parallel between Parzach on the one hand and Yaakov Esav on the other hand. We're told there in Parakavav, Achar Acharechen Yatsa Achiv. Exact same phrase used later on. Afterwards, the brother came out. Viado Ochezet Bakev Esav. And his hand. Here we have the Yad. We have the hand. Um, that's holding on to the heel of Esav. Veikrashmo Yaakov, and his name is called Yaakov. So we have this kind of threefold parallel between the birth of Yaakov and Esav on the one hand and the birth of Parat and Zarech on the other hand. Of course, in both cases, they're twins. And of course, in both cases, we have the uh, Yad, the hand. And in both cases, we have the Acharekein Yatsa'achiv. But it's even more than just the literary connection. Yaakov is called Yaakov because his hand... Um, is holding on to the heel of Esav. At the last second, so to speak, um, Yaakov is trying to pull back Esav and to get out first. The struggle that occurs between Yaakov and Esav throughout their lives for the birthright, for being the firstborn, that struggle already begins in the womb. And at the last moment before the Bukharhood is established for Esav, Yaakov is, grabs on to the heel of Esav, tries to pull him back to yank him back and to get out first and to become the Bukhar and therefore his name Yaakov symbolizes the struggle that already began at birth. Now, fascinatingly enough, that failed struggle of Yaakov to pull back or hold back his brother or to get back, to get out first, that's exactly what Peretz succeeds in doing. Zerach sticks out his hand um, and even though Zerach is about to come out first, somehow Peretz bursts forth and that's his name. He gets out. He wins the struggle in the womb that Yaakov had failed. So we have here a kind of second connection between um, the Peretz Zerach narrative and the Yaakov Esau story, not just the language but also thematically what it's all about. Now there's a fascinating uh, Midrash which uh, adds on to this. Um, and, and it's quoted by many of the Mepharshim and actually even taken as Pshuta Shal Mikra um, by some of the Mepharshim. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the name Zarach uh, means dawn. And probably, um, sometimes there's a false dawn, uh, a dawn that seems to come but doesn't come. And therefore, Zarach is kind of be, so to speak, the false Bukhar, the Bukhar that seems to happen but then in the end of the day doesn't happen. Um, and therefore, his name Zarach, similar to the false dawn that seemed to be coming but didn't arrive. Um, but there's another possibility cited by the Mepharshim, as I alluded to a moment ago. The dawn is sometimes reddish. And the Mepharshim say that Zarach had reddish skin. Um, and if Zarach had reddish skin, therefore he was called Zarach dawn over the reddish dawn. But this really kind of completes the story we outlined before. Uh, Peretz is a kind of stand-in for Yaakov. The successful supplantation of his brother, the twin, the Bukhar, at the time of birth. But if so, Zarach is a kind of stand-in for Esav. Um, and that, the same as Esav is, of course, Seir, Edom, Reddish, etc. So too, uh, Zarach is uh, Reddish, hence named Zarach. And this story should be viewed as the ultimate event of uh, the younger placing the older. Um, first, it happens in utero. Uh, and second, it's kind of the completion of the dynamic in the Yaakov Ace of birth story. And as such, this represents the, the final case, or perhaps the C, the height, of the notion of selection of the younger replacing the older. Now, um, one more proof for this is that here, in the case of Zarach and Paretz, the younger replacing the older is not just a mark of Nivchar, of being chosen, but it's actually perhaps something a bit more. 
And to understand this, we need uh, to think a little bit about the lineage of Paretz, uh, exactly who Yehuda eventually turns out to be. Uh, and this has something to do with the lineage of Paretz. And this is, of course, something we know from the very end of Sefer Rut. As we should remember, Rut's Paretel, the end of Sefer Rut, ends with a genealogy, the genealogy of Paretz, and it reads as follows, beginning in Perak Dalid, Pasuk Yudcher of Sefer Rut. Paretz, these are the descendants of Paretz. Paretz holidet Chetzron, the Chetzron holidet Ram, Veram holidet Aminadav, etc., etc. And eventually we get to the last verse, the last Pasuk of Sefer Rut, Pasuk Perak Dalid, Pasuk Kafbat, which says, Ve'oved holid et Yishai, Vishai holid et David. Of course, the lineage of Paretz, uh, the son of Yudah, culminates in uh, the birth of David. In other words, it culminates in Malchut. It culminates in the the kingly, uh, or in the line of kingship, in the lineage of kingship. It uh, is the ultimate mark of distinction. Uh, This story, the replacement of the older by the younger, or Paretz becoming the Bukhar, is not just a sign of chosenness, but at the end of the day, it is the mark of the line of kings, that Malchut Yisrael descends uh, from Yehuda through Paretz, through Ishai, through David, etc. Okay. Now, this is all so far interesting as it goes, um, but um, at the same time, perhaps slightly problematic. And to understand the problem here, we need to return to the beginning of the story of Perak Lamachet, because if this is how Perak Lamachet ends, with the kind of ultimate story of the supplanting of the older by the younger, the ultimate mark of successful uh, chosenness, and with kingship of Israel, then we need to think about how the story begins and how the story progresses. And I want to go back again to Parak Lamachet Pasuk Aleph to try to outline what I think is the internal dynamic in the Parak, or the internal problem uh, in the Parak. Parak Lamachet Pasuk Aleph says as follows, And it was at that time that Yudah Vayered. Now Vayered, as Ibn Ezra reminds us, can often refer to um, the going down from a mountain, or perhaps the, the going south, as in the case of Avraham going down to Mitzrayim. But here it means a little bit something deeper. It says, Vayered Yudah me'it echav. Yudah went down from his brothers, and I think it's not just geographic, but it's, of course, uh, a matter of separation. Yudah, after Mechirat Yosef, found in the selling of Yosef, found in Perak Lamed Zion, the preceding Perak, Yudah separates from his brothers, and going on in Perak Lamed Ches, Pasuk Aleph, and he turned uh, to an Adulamite man, Ushmo Chira. And uh, in fact, Yehuda teams up with this person, uh, Chira, um, and he goes to a certain place and, and he gets married um, and he has children and his children die. And this situation uh, goes on for quite a few years. Um, for example, if we uh, jump down to Paraklamet Chet, Pasuk Yud Bet, um, and the days had passed, and many days had passed. And the daughter of Shua, the wife of Yudah, died. And Yudah was consoled. And he went out to shear his sheep. And he went with Chira, his friend. Um, so years have passed. Yudah has been married. Yudah is teamed up with Chira. Yudah has a sheep shearing business. And Yudah and his brothers, Yudah, Yudah's family, is in fact apparently nowhere to be found. He has separated from them and teamed up with Chira, and he has a life 
separate from the family of Yaakov, separate from B'nai Yisrael. And as we go on, again, later on, after Yudah visits the harlot at the crossroads, and he wants to send her back um, the Gedi Izim and to receive his deposit in return, who does he send, of course, uh, in Parak Lamedchet, Pasukafa, Yishlach Yudah et Gedi Ha'izim He sent the Gedi Izim in the hands of his friend, the Adulamite. So what's strange here, or what should seem to appear to us as attention in the parak, is that the story is really about Yehuda leaving. The story is about Yehuda's life with Chira, um, his marriage, his business, etc. It's Yehuda as a man of the land. It's not about Yehuda as a member of the covenantal family. And it should seem strange to us that the eventual way that this story ends is with the ultimate mark of covenantal distinction, the ultimate case of the younger replacing the older, uh, with the descent of Mahut Yisrael, or the line of Mahut Yisrael. And it seems strange. One would not expect that, so to speak, moving out of the covenantal family structure would eventually result in the ultimate mark of covenantal distinction and um, the lineage of Malchut. But let us deepen the problem, or at least move to its classic formulation, as addressed by the Mefarshim, especially by Ramban. And let us now go back to Perak Lamedchet, Pasuk Bet, a Pasuk that we have not yet concentrated until this point upon. Perak Lamedchet, Pasuk Bet, says as follows. Vaya'ar Sham Yehuda, Bat Ish Knani. And Yehuda saw there uh, the daughter of a Knanite man, Ushmo Shua, and his name was Shua, Allah. And he took her and he came upon her. So upon his... Uh, journey with his friend, the Adulamite Chirai, uh, Yudah encountered a Canaanite woman and he took her and he married her. Uh, and Yudah marries, apparently, or takes a Canaanite woman and has children by her. Now, of course, we should immediately realize that uh, the notion of a Canaanite woman marrying a Canaanite woman uh, has a kind of history. And we can work our way slowly backwards. And of course, what should spring to mind? Um, well, let's go back just for the moment, one generation, uh, to the generation of uh, Yaakov and uh, Esav. Um, back in uh, Parak Kafvav, the very end of Parak Kafvav, right before uh, the story or the scene of the brachot, it's where it kind of inserts a, a, a kind of uh, almost near parenthetical comment to tell us something about Esav, I would argue as a kind of preface to the story of Yaakov, the Brachot and the Bukhara. And in Parak Kafvav, Pasuk Lamedale, the Torah tells us as follows. Esav was 40 years old. He took as a wife, a woman named Yudat, the daughter of Be'eri, the Chitite, Chitit at Basmat Bat Elon, Hachiti. He marries these Hittite or these Chiti women, and the pasuk continues on. Uh, the Torah tells us, So effectively, Esav marries Canaanite women, and this is a source of bitterness. Their action or their very being is a source of bitterness uh, to both Yitzchak and Rivka. And on some level, the Torah is telegraphed to us by virtue of the fact that Esau marries a Canaanite woman, he is not ra'ui, he is not suited to inherit the covenant. And on some level, both Yitzchak and Rivkash already know this uh, at this point. Now, of course, this dynamic surfaces again um, after the story of Yaakov, the Brachot, and the Bechorah, towards the very end of Perak Kavzayan. When Esau plots to kill Yaakov, of course, Rivka overhears this, Rivka knows of this, she has a plan, she wants to send Yaakov away, 
but she has to persuade Yitzchak of this. So she turns to Yitzchak, and in Perak of Zayin, Pasuk Mem Vav, the Torah tells us as follows. Vatam Rivka Yitzchak, Rivka said Yitzchak, Katsdi b'chayai mipnei b'not chet. I have had it. I am sick of my existence um, because of these daughters of chet. Im lokeach Yaakov yishamei b'not chet ka'ela. If Yaakov would take a wife from the daughters of Chet like these, me benot aretz of the daughters of the land. So benot Chet are out and the daughters of the land are out. Lamali chayim. Why should I exist? Rivka would rather, so to speak, she declares Yitzchak not exist. They have to put up with another marriage by another son to a local Chiti woman. So what happens? Well, Yitzchak responds as expected in Perak Kavchet, Pasuk Aleph. Ve'yikrei Yitzchak al-Yaakov, ve'yavarech oto, Yitzchak calls Yaakov, and he blessed him, ve'yitzavehu, ve'yom lo, lo tikach isham mebinot kenan. Do not take a wife from the daughters of Kenan. You cannot marry the daughters of Kenan. Kum lech padana aram, ve'yta betuel, avi imecha, ve'kach ham isham, isham mebinot lavanach imecha. Go to the foreign land, to padana aram, to the house of Lavan, the brother of your mother, and take a wife from there. And then a key line in Perak Kavchet, Pasuk Gimel, Yitzchak says to Yaakov as follows, V'kel shakai yivarechotcha v'yafrecha v'yarbecha v'yitel kalamim v'yitein l'cha et birkat Avraham l'cha u'zaracha itach l'rishdecha. This is the key moment where Yitzchak first admits or assigns uh, or talks about the brachot of Avraham. Birkat Avraham is the phrase here in relation to Yaakov. And he uses all the, the key language of the brachot of Avraham. Kel shakai, eretz meguracha, yafrecha, yarbecha, etc. And he talks about the brachot of Avraham explicitly. And he says, listen, don't marry one of the benot Kenan as your brother Esau did. Rather, go marry a different kind of woman. Um, and... Uh, you will then have the Birkot Avraham and you will get the Birkot Avraham. In other words, there's an antithesis, a kind of tension between, on the one hand, marrying Benot Kanan, on the other hand, being the child of the covenant, being Nivchar and inheriting Birkot Avraham. They just don't go together. And this is why uh, Yaakov uh, is sent away uh, to the house of Lavan to find a wife there because he cannot marry of Benot Kanan as the inheritor of the covenant. Now, of course, the Av Tipus the progenitor, or the first case of all this, is back in the second generation, in the life of Yitzchak. And this goes, of course, all the way back to Avraham, um, back in Perakaf Dalet, at the beginning of Parshat Chayei Sarah. Um, Avraham calls in his Eved, and he tells him in Perakaf Dalet, Pasuk Gimel va'ashpiacha ba'ashem elokei shamayim ve'elokei ha'aretz, I will make you swear by God, the heaven of earth, God, the God of heavens and earth. Do not take a Canaanite wife for my son uh, from amongst the people that I live in, but rather, of course, go to my Eretz and uh, my Moledet, etc. So what we see here is that marrying a Canaanite woman is the ultimate mark of not being a member of the covenant. And someone who is the inheritor of the covenant, whether it be Yitzchak, or whether it be Yaakov, must marry a non-Kinanite woman. So if we come back now to Perak Lamed Chet, it seems very strange indeed. The story is about Yudah's separation from his family unit, from his brothers, from the covenantal Am. It's his movement in the direction of Chira, life in the land, in the direction of Kinanite, effectively Kinanite existence, and he marries a Kinanite woman. Yet, on the other hand, the way the story ends is with the ultimate mark of covenantal distinction, the replacement of Zarach by Paret. The story ends with the ultimate covenantal notion of the line of Malchut Yisrael from which kings of Israel eventually emerge. And there's a kind of tension here. How does the story of um, 
marrying the Canaanite woman end in the ultimate mark of covenantal distinction. And this is kind of the, the question that I see is the internal problem within Perak Lamed Chet. Now, another way to phrase this, and perhaps more pithily, is that there are two marks of covenantal distinction in the stories of the Avot. The first being the marriage to the non-Canaanite woman, and the second being the younger replacing the older. And in Perak Lamed Chet, does not have the two of them go together, whereas previously the two of them have always gone together. In the case of Yitzchak, he marries a non-Canaanite woman and it's younger replacing older. In the case of Yaakov, he marries a non-Canaanite woman and it's younger replacing older. But here, in the fourth generation, in the story of the life of Yehuda and the birth of Paretz, on the one hand, there's the marriage to the Canaanite woman, yet on the other hand, there's the ultimate case of the younger replacing the older in the mark of covenantal distinction, and this requires some sort of explanation as to how this dynamic occurs in Paraklam and Chet. Now, there are quite a few uh, answers to this problem. I actually know of four different approaches uh, as to how to resolve this problem. And uh, since we do not have time for all of them, uh, I would very briefly like to cover uh, perhaps uh, two. And maybe a bit more if, if time allows. One approach is the approach of Ramban. Um, and... It's uh, rooted in Unculus, and it's an approach that might be thought of as denying the premise of the problem. And I will uh, read you here the comment of Ramban, found in Breshit Paraklam and Khat, Pasuk Bet. Um, Ramban says as follows, Bat uh, Knani, regarding this woman who Yuda married, Amar Unculus, Unculus said, Tagra, Koma Ish Socher. This means a peddler or a merchant. Shabala Gur Ba'aretz Bishorato. Um, that came to dwell in the land with his merchandise. Vidatolomar, and his intention in interpreting bat ish Kenani. Kenani does not mean an actual Kenani. It means a sojourner in Kenan, someone who had come there with his merchandise. And Ramban continues, The sons of Yaakov were very careful or regarded themselves or did not refrain from marrying Kenaniot. As their forefathers or their fathers, Yitzchak, and also Abraham commanded. Effectively, Ramban here cites the opinion of Unculus that Yehuda never married a Canaanite woman. And we have, so to speak, misunderstood something here. Interpret Canaanite as meaning traitor, someone sojourning in the land of Canaan. And if so, there is no mark of non-covenantal nature. And if so, the entire tension on some level uh, may be said to disappear or to be dissolved. Um, because, of course, there's covenantal distinction at the end of the parak because there was never any marriage to the Canaanite woman at the beginning of the parak. And this approach might be thought of as denying the premise of the problem. Um, now, uh, this doesn't really feel like Pshuta Shil Nikra. And uh, in terms of Ramban, you might expect Ramban to reject uh, this approach. However... Uh, strikingly enough, Ramban uh, affirms this kind of approach to understanding Yehuda's marriages, and uh, not just affirms them, but might be said to even take it a little bit further. At the end of his comment, in the very same pasuk, uh, Ramban makes the following claim. Um, and so to Tamar was the daughter of one of those who dwelt in the land. Certainly not the daughter of a Canaanite man in his lineage. God forbid, she Adonenu David, that our master David, Umashiach Tzitkenu, um, and our righteous Savior, she Galelanu Bimehera, that will please be, please God be revealed to us in the near future, Mizera Kanan, should come from the seed of Kanan, Eved Hamakulal, the cursed Eved of Parshat Noach. 
Rabbeinu Amru and Chazal said in Breshit Rabba B'Tamar regarding Tamar Shaita Bitoshel Shem that she was the daughter of Shem Fu Kohen Le'Elayon and he of course is a priest to the God on high. So Ramban is so convinced that it's impossible for covenantal distinction for Malchut for Mashiach to emerge um, from Canaan or Canaanism. Um, that he is willing to reread Yehuda's original marriage as being to the daughter of a local trader like Unculus. And Rahman is so convinced of the impossibility of covenantal distinction of Malchut and Mashiach emerging from Canaan and Canaan likeness um, that he's willing to reread Tamar or say that Tamar is also obviously the daughter of a traitor or to accept the opinion of Chazal that she is the daughter of Shem, uh, the ultimate holy covenantal figure on some plane in the mind of the Midrash, who is a Kohen Le'el-Elyon, of course, as Malki Tzedek of Perak Yudalit. And as I said, I think this approach to the problem is to kind of deny the premise and to make it go away. I would like to suggest the absolute opposite approach as a kind of uh, alternative to accept the premise completely and then maybe we'll try to balance off the second approach against the first approach or at least hold them together and with this wrap up our discussion for today. Now the second approach to the problem was suggested to me by a very interesting midrash um, which I think on some plane helps to build an interesting parallel uh, between Yehuda and Yosef, which might on some level complete the picture of the placement of Perak Lamedchet in the overarching storyline of this part of Sefer Breshit. And to understand this, we will have to take a look in Rashi. Um, but let's go back to Perak Lamedchet, Perak Lamedchet, Pasuk Aleph, to begin uh, the point. Perak Lamedchet, Pasuk Aleph says as follows, Vayi ba'etahi, and it was at that time, Vayered Yehuda me'et echav. Um, and Yehuda, uh, was um, descended, separated from his brothers. And this is how we understood it, a story of kind of separation, teaming up with Chira. Now, the language here of Vayered bears an interesting resemblance to the beginning of Perak Lamitet. Perak Lamitet, Pasuk Aleph, says as follows, V'yosef hurad mitzrayim. Yosef was taken down to Egypt, V'yekneu potifar sris paro, sar hatabachim, etc. So, Yosef, Yudah, Yerad, he descended, separated from his brothers. Um, and Yosef was taken down to Mitzrayim, also descended, separated from his brothers, etc. And there's a kind of interesting connection here between the story of Yehudah in Paraklam and Chet, his life, Tamar, etc., and the story of Yosef, Paraklam and Tet, Mitzrayim, Potiphar, etc. But this requires a bit of explanation. And here we come to this Rashi. Rashi cites a fascinating Midrash. And Perak Lamitet, Pasuk Aleph, on the Yosef line, Rashi comments as follows. The Yosef Hurad. This goes back to the first matter, the first storyline. Ella, Shev Sikbo, Kadele Smoch, Yeridato, Shel Yehuda, Lemachirato, Shel Yosef. But rather, there was an interruption, uh, a Hefsek, between uh, the sale of Yosef and the descent of Yosef to Mitzrayim. Kadele Smoch, Yeridato, Shel Yehuda, Lemachirato, Shel Yosef. To place adjacent the descent of Yehuda, the going down of Yehuda, the mechiratosh Yosef to the sale of Yosef. Lomar lecha to tell you shebishvilo horiduhu mi gadluto because of this sale horiduhu mi gadluto mi gadulato they brought him down from his greatness. 
Rashi here echoes a comment he made earlier in Perak Lamed Chet, Pasuk Aleph. What does Vayered Yehuda mean? It means in the mind of the Midrash, Horiduhu Migudulato. The brothers cast him out. The brothers sent him down. The brothers cast him off because they said to him, look what happened here. This all happened because of you, Yehuda. You were the leader. And if you had told us not to sell him, if you had told us not to kill him, if you had told us to return him to his father, look the avilut and the heavy mourning that our fathers engaged in, the pain and the suffering, it's all your fault, Yehuda. We would have listened to you. And therefore they, they cast him out. Uh, they send him down. And there's a literary parallel between the story of Yosef and the story of Yehuda. Yosef is Yored, and Yehuda is Yored. But on the deeper level, at least according to the Midrash, both of them are cast out from their brothers into foreign lands. Yosef is cast away from his brothers into the land of Mitzrayim, and Yehuda is cast away from his brothers, from his family, from his covenantal structure. He's cast away, but where? Not to Mitzrayim, but to Canaan. So they both are in some sense in a kind of galut, at least according to the Midrash, and this is one connection between the stories of Yosef and Yehuda. Now, a second connection, and this is a point made by Ibn Ezra. Both Yehuda and Yosef, in the respective stories of Perak Lamedchet and Perak Lamedchet, become engaged with interesting uh, marital situations, difficult sexual situations of entrapment of one form or another. Uh, of course, famously known, Yosef faces Eshet Potiphar, um, who tries to entrap him, and Yehuda faces Tamar, who on some level does successfully entrap him. So they both uh, face situations of marital entrapment in their respective places of Canaan and Mitzvah. This point is made by Ibn Ezra, and also made um, by many, many Midrashim, and this is a kind of second parallel. Now, again, there's an interesting third parallel, which is the beginning of the story that we began with today. Of course, Yehuda has two sons, and the two sons are Peretz and Zarach. And the birth of these two sons, found at the end of the Yehuda Bigalut story, on some level, is indicative of covenantal selection, covenantal chosenness, where the younger places the older. But if we think about it in the Yosef story as well, Yosef ben Mitzrayim, um, and Eshet Potiphar, and etc., eventually Yosef has two children, Ephraim and Menashe. Um, and interestingly enough, the Midrash tells us that Eshet Potiphar, that Potiphar is the same as Potiphera, and Yosef marries Bat Potiphera. So in fact, Yosef um, marries the daughter of Eshet Potiphar on some level. This becomes his mother-in-law. Somehow uh, the children he has is connected in some way to the uh, marital sexual entrapment story that he'd been engaged in. The same as Yudah's children are connected to the marital sexual entrapment story that he had been in. And they're Ephraim and Menashe. And we should remember how the story of Ephraim and Menashe ends. Yosef brings them to Yaakov for the bracha, and Yaakov crosses his hands, and he places his right hand, the stronger hand, upon the head of Ephraim, who is not the biological Bukhar. He places his left hand, the weaker hand, upon uh, the hand of Menashe, who is the uh, biological Bukhar. And in that sense, he performs another one of these switches. He replaces the older Menashe with the younger Ephraim. It's a sign of chosenness, covenantal distinction. And the end of the story of Yosef and his children is similar to the end of the story of Yudah and his children, the mark of covenantal distinction of younger replacing the older. So we have these three parallels uh, between the Yosef and you, the stories found in Perak, um, Lamed Chet and Lamed Chet, respectively. 
One, the idea of the descent, which thematically indicates the separation from the covenant, the going down to the uh, dark place, the leaving of the family, Canaan and Mitzrayim, respectively, that are sometimes grouped together later on in Sefer Vayikra, Kimasa Eretz Mitzrayim, Kimasa Eretz Canaan, Lotasu. These are considered bad and, and evil places in some way. So both Yudah and Yosef descend into these places. In both of the, in both their stories, they become involved in in morally questionable, difficult situations involving marriage and entrapment. And yet, from both of these stories, on some level, emerges two children who bear the sign of covenantal distinction, from which, on some level, even leadership or malchut emerges. What is going on here? And what we've apparently discovered is a kind of dynamic here in the latter part of Sefer Breshit. Well, maybe the idea here uh, should be taken literally. Um, and maybe we may draw upon uh, a bit of Kabbalistic terminology or a bit of uh, Hasidic thinking to try to explain what perhaps the metaphysical notion here is. Um, that both uh, Yosef and Yehuda, or Yehuda and Yosef, go into Galut, where perhaps Yosef's Galut is in Mitzrayim, Yehuda's Galut is in the land. They both separate from their families. They both descend. Um, uh, but from this descent, and here the terminology is the Yeridala Tocha Klipa, the going down into the evil place. Um, in the going down into the evil place, something is found, something is redeemed, something is unified, something is built up. And in a kind of ironic fashion, it's only through this descent into the places of Canaan and Mitzrayim, into the places of non-covenantal distinction, it's only there that somehow, ironically, mystically, metaphysically, that covenantal chosenness can be maintained and be carried on into the next generation. It's only through the descent to Canaan that Yehuda eventually generates uh, Malchut Yisrael. And it's only uh, through the descent to uh, Mitzrayim that Yosef there is somehow to able to maintain his covenantal distinction um, and Ephraim and Menashe are born, uh, are born as, uh, as continuous of the covenant. So we can kind of think of this as a kind of metaphysical concept of Yeridala Tokhaklipa, descent into the evil. We could think about this as a, as a mystical concept of the unification of the Nivchar, of the chosenness, with the dark side, the other side, the Canaanite-ness, or the Mitzrayimness that Yehuda and Yosef respectively encounter. And it's through this unification that the Malchut, that the kingship, um, that the um, chosenness is continued on. Or we can kind of think of this, if we want, if we want to rationally reconstruct this, and maybe this is really what's right, is that there's something that both Yosef and Yehuda respectively have to go through. And, and that's something that Yehuda and Yosef have to go through can only happen in Mitzrayim, can only happen in Canaan. And what's really going on um, in the story of Yehuda and Tamar is that's something that Yehuda has to go through, that descent, to find within himself that, that koach, that ability to eventually become the one who becomes the progenitor of Malchut. But this, of course, is another storyline altogether. To wrap up, we have here the larger picture question of the inclusion of Paraklamatkat and the specific question of the tension of moving out of the covenant, the marker of Canaanitness at the beginning of the parak, as opposed to the ultimate mark of covenantal distinction, younger placing the older at the end. I've suggested two possibilities. Either something along the lines of Ramban and Unglus to deny the premise of the problem, or alternatively, um, something along the lines of the Midrash to accept the premise of the problem, uh, to build a parallel between Yehuda and Yosef, Mitzrayim and Canaan, and to say that, ironically, it's exactly 
uh, that unification of Canaan Mitzrayim on the one hand and chosenness on the other hand, uh, that from within that something has gone through which is able to generate Malchut. And this is the story of Yudah in Perak Lamed Chayv.